0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota.
1: I'd like to start off with uh, introductions. And if you just say you How many people here are, are not new to Common Ground? Raise your hands if you're not new to Common Ground. Okay. All right. So... There's a few virgins in the room. (laughs) That's humor. (laughs) Yeah, you can probably expect me at times to say things inappropriate. Cause 'cause that's how I am. (laughs) Um, So your name and just very briefly, uh, what motivated you to come to this? What about the title or the description motivated you to come? And that way you're teaching us, you know, how to sort of fine tune as best we can what we're prepared to share with you today. Uh, the other presenters, facilitators are Beatrice Luciano right there, <laughs> and Simone Rinden, right there. <laughs> okay, as you may uh, have read, Beatrice will do a session on using yoga um, in very immediate and accessible ways to meet the needs of people like us. And in the afternoon, we're gonna have a break right at noon And you can go out and have lunch and you just need to be back by one o'clock. And that is the time when we'll go into, uh, co-counseling, uh, which is a very useful tool for communities. So why don't we, uh, begin this way and move around the circle, your name and what motivated you to come today.
2: Okay, we have a mic here too and we might not need the amplification today but we're going to try to record this talk so if you can try to use the mic whenever possible um, thanks my name is Rick um, well I I'm a poet and an activist and um, it just seemed like um, the description of a workshop for artists and activists. I and, uh, wanted to be here with you, Louis. You're someone I really respect and admire. You know, that's about it.
1: Okay. Thank
2: you. My name is Robert, and I wanted to be here today a lot, actually. Um, and it comes from, I guess, a number of places, but they feel connected, like... Uh, doing my own healing work and wanting to know how to share that with my peers wanting to know how to open up some of those more uh stigmatized or vulnerable places around friends um and uh recent suicide in my community made it feel even more immediate to to really bring people together and learn how to do the work um yeah, I feel like I could say a lot more, but that kind of touches on it.
1: Thank you.
3: My name is Mitch, and I started coming to Common Ground somewhat recently, thanks to Robert. And I also work in human services, and I'm trying to figure out how some of the weekly teachings might be more applicable to my work with a large number of folks experiencing high levels of trauma. So...
4: Good morning, my name is Beatriz, that's in Spanish, in English it's Beatriz, for those of you who cannot roll your R's, <laughs> and then um, my other name is Panja, which is Swahili for little one, uh, which means that I grew up in Harlem and with a lot of black folks, and anyway, so that's my street name, Panja, and then my traditional native spiritual name is Watuke, which means fire of the earth woman and (laughs) fire and uh, we'll we'll get to know each other a little bit more as we go on thank you and i'm here because um like the rest of you i need to and want to be here thank you
2: my name is alan and i'm a writer filmmaker and i've been been in social work as well and uh, I've been in Buddhism for I don't know over 10 years. So there's three passions right right there that are covered in today's um, workshop. So that's great for me. And I think that's it. Thanks. Thank you. My name is
0: Kathleen. Um, I identify more as the activist rather than the artist. Um, I am here because I see a general like lack of of emphasis on self-care in the activist community and I wanted to learn a little bit more about healing of the self as well as um, something that I can bring back to the community.
5: Hello everyone, my name is Edwin and uh, I'm also an artist and I've been involved in various community uh, interaction programs uh, over the years, Intermedia Arts and uh, also did some work with uh, YouthLink, uh, with homeless teens, and I've done some work <clears throat> with, uh, v- you know, very, various cultural things. And I've been also uh, involved in uh, in a spiritual uh, and uh, Buddhist uh, search for a number of years now, including Common Ground and the Minnesota Zen Center. And... Um, just uh, my motivation here is probably mostly because, in some ways, I'm feeling as age comes. You know, I'm feeling a bit more isolated, and uh, I kind of wanted to redevelop a sense of a new sense of community and explore some new possibilities without putting too much pressure on myself or others. So nice to have you all here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh,
6: my name is Barb. And uh, I'm new here to the common ground, but uh, I was—I'm a singer-songwriter. I also have a healing practice, and uh, I guess I was drawn by the fact that it was uh, for artists and activists because those two elements together just drew me in. So that's why I'm
7: here. Thank you. My name is Christina. I'm a novelist. And my books are for everyone, I think, but um, especially people of the gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, questioning, alphabet soup. Um, <laughs> it's very cognitive work, but it's very spiritual, too, Um Why I came was because I was part of a Minnesota library read and ride day at the state fair uh, selling books with other writers. And a woman came up and lifted my book and said, oh, what's this about? And I explained to her the alphabet soup and explained why it was a book for everybody. And she dropped my book just dropped it, and gave me a look of hate that other people noticed, uh, including myself. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. The book that she chose to drop was dedicated to my gay cousin who was murdered. Um, And I looked at her and I thought, Oh my God, this is the last thing Michael ever saw in the world was that look hatred. And it's very hard sometime to keep on believing that what you do is important when someone treats you that way and treats your art that way. So I obviously need coping strategies. Thank this
1: is fine you. If you like it.
2: Thank
6: you. Do you
2: want to hold a hand? No, okay. I think I've my hand. <laughs> One step at a time. Yeah.
0: My name is Jason. Um, word on the street is the people holding this space are awesome people. <laughs> so I figured it would attract a good circle, too. Um, I need healing. I need co-counseling. <laughs> I
3: need meditation.
0: <laughs> so that I can take from this well and pass it on to my community. Hi, everybody. My name is Chelsea. Um, I'm here for a lot of reasons. Um, I think two of the main ones are um, this summer I went on a listening and solidarity trip to Palestine. And um, I've done other trips like that that were kind of left me just really angry. And this one, I chose to approach um, through compassion because I had been studying Buddhism, and that really, you um, know, I was like, well, let's give it a try. <laughs> and it was really different. Um, and I feel like I discovered it's much more sustaining than anger. Um, and so, um, I'm also. Um, in kind of a training program to become a spiritual director in the Christian contemplative tradition um, and I'm particularly interested in um, reaching out to activists uh, and helping them sustain their work so the co-counseling piece I'm really interested in and just here to glean whatever wisdom and experience you have so thank you good morning I'm Camille I um... I just uh, was looking for
8: something uh, new to try. I've just recently uh, gone through um, kind of a large change in my life. And um, I see myself as an advocate and a healer. And I was just curious. And I'm glad to be here. Thank you.
1: Let me reassure you all. None of what we are offering today is new. It's old. Old stuff. (laughs) But I'm really glad you're here. Hey, I'm Zach. I'm
6: sorry I'm late, everyone, and that I missed, I think, maybe that section over there. Um,
1: I'm here because I'm an artist and an activist, I guess. So that uh, description of the
3: event really fit the bill. I moved back from Chicago where I was teaching... Um, this may and since then um, i've just been dealing with a lot of you know transitioning between
1: communities and not really having a support network there of folks who can like hold you up when you need it so i think that's been a lot of what's been going around for a lot of people
6: uh, these days but um, yeah anyways glad to meet you and I'm excited to be here. Thank you.
8: My name is Denny. That's short for Denise. And um, the word resiliency really drew me because I have been a student of climate change and all of the um, attached challenges for, um, you know, a couple decades. And um, so I've been working on building my own resiliency to just be able to be, you know, strong for myself and strong for family and friends. Um, I am Facebook friends with you, Lewis, and through the things you share, really came to um, feel really comfortable with you and your viewpoint and your understanding of a bigger picture than the culture generally. And so I was attracted because of that. Because um, I'm finding it really difficult to live in this world um, out there, and I am also a, a person lacking community. Um, and so, I and I also have a lot of challenges going on in my family life. We have um, a month-old baby in our family with parents who are not really able. Um, so it takes a village, but it kind of, there's a couple more in the village, and that's it. So I wanted to take this day to just, like, step away out of that, out of daily life, and be sort of held in the arms of, um, of community and of, you know, coming to ground and just really taking some space. So thank you. Thank you.
6: Hi, my name is Omka. Um, I am sitting with a couple of things. I um, <clears throat> I am, so I think, needing to deepen my practice in some ways. I kind of am really craving just slowing down and some solitude and some of those edges, but I'm like an, a really strong extrovert, so I do well around other people, so I'm like kind of playing with how can I use spaces of being around other people to step into spaces of being alone and kind of deepen. And that's, um, one thing I'm, I'm in, um, work in social work and, and, and part of like some really deep entrenched systems and looking at kind of, it's, it's tiring. It's hard to kind of do sort of activist type work in a, kind of a very bureaucratic white system. So that's really hard. Um, but I, I feel like it's needs to happen. Um, I tend to find myself being drawn to sort of spaces where the work isn't happening. Um, and also it's, uh, nice to kind of, I was drawn that the teachers, you know, were, weren't, were non-white seeming teachers. So that was really good because I'm around kind of white teachers all the time and that's, um there's a different lens that
1: I need. Let me make sure I understand you. Do you feel most comfortable in a extrovert mode or introvert mode? Or is it more valid?
6: Most comfortable in an extrovert, but it's, I can't, I'm like, you know, I, eventually I need to go to bed and slow down and so it's like, <laughs> it's like that's hard. Okay. Yeah.
4: Uh, hi, my name is Aisha. Um, L- Lewis and Simone have both been really important teachers in my life, and so kind of having the opportunity to spend the day with you guys is something I had to move everything around, but really pleased to be here. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I work in a white bureaucracy, too, and I, you know, I, I, um, I, I studied co-counseling with... with uh, Marcy, who's Simone's mom for many years, and I think that like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the good life that I have without it, but I, but since I had a, I have a kid and took on a really intense job and I don't have like, I'm having trouble like carving out space to do my own stuff, things for myself in the reality like that I'm in right now, so.
7: Simone, um, I'm here because Lewis invited me (laughs) way before the page went up. Um, But yeah, I'm here for this afternoon to talk about co-counseling and how to use it in your life.
0: I'm Ashley, and I'm here to back Simone in her teaching of co-counseling and uh, also coming from a, from a place of doing local and, and organizing work, so community justice
1: work. One moment. Um, if need be, would you be able to be in uh, an angel role if people need, if somebody needs more one-on-one to stay present? Yeah. Okay, thank you. You want to? They say a bit about Angel room at all?
0: Um, you can, if you can add to this, but if anybody needs like some time out of the group, if like they're triggered by something that happens, um, let me know and we can leave and we can like make some space for talking or just feeling and not being alone while we're talking and feeling. Um, do you want to add to that? Lewis?
3: No, you got it. Hi, I'm Terry. Uh I, I'm kind of new, new to this community too. I've been to two music festivals, and that's when I first heard, heard Lewis a couple of years ago, with, with doing a poem by E.E. E. Cummings that my daughter um, recited by Hart and Vamp when they're walking the mountains to scare away the grizzly bears. A couple years, when she was 12, she's now 21. I also came because I wanted her to come, but she canceled. She's kind of struggling, two colleges, and not happy where she's at. I thought she might be able to find some enlightenment here. So I'm here instead. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. I struggle. I don't work. I struggle with MS. I have had MS since 99, and I know Larry Long. That's how I found this place. Thank you.
1: Okay. <sighs> well, as I listened, I, I, I was aware that there was some things that I could identify as issues that are amongst the people here. <laughs> Maybe one of them would be uh, some amount of people feeling isolated um some number of us uh experiencing uh issues around race and gender and anything else i might have missed yeah aging yes <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's really important because one of the main messages behind uh, Buddhism is the whole reality of impermanence. Um, so we need to think about that some too. Um, let's see. i think i'm here because i'm at a place in my life where i could no longer run away from why i was born which has a lot to do with uh being in the world in a spiritual role and a healing role um, when i was about 3 years old uh, a granduncle my Paternal grandmother's brother, who was a backwoods preacher in Arkansas, was recognized by his family as having the gift of prophecy. And so, this one Thanksgiving on the south side of Chicago, when he came to visit the family, uh, my aunt brought me out into the hallway where my uncle was and said, What do you see for this boy? And he said, Well, he's going to be a preacher or a doctor. And having a mind of my own, by the time I realized what those things were, I was very clear about the fact that I didn't want to be a preacher and I didn't want to be a doctor. But by the time I was twenty no, 30, 30, 31 years old, I did have a bit of an identity as a poet. And it was at a time when I had just formed a performance group called Ancestor Energy. That I just sort of picked that name out of the air and didn't really realize what it meant to years later, what I had stepped into and identified for myself. And, um, I, we had done this performance at the African American Cultural Arts Center. And after the performance, people were coming up to me and giving me feedback about the work that, you know, my then, uh, three-person band, had done, and I realized I started remembering this experience with my Uncle Daniel from when I was three years old, and I was remembering parts of the conversation, and so I had to call my mom, <laughs> one of my students just walked through the door, I called my mom and I asked her, did this happen? Did this really happen? Uh, and she said, yeah, that happened, but you know Uncle Daniel's crazy. So here I am. Uh, So one of those early poems that I think kind of reflects how I am in the world goes like this and there are not many poems of mine that I really memorize. Sunlight came through my window this morning, splashing colors on the wall. And I knew a new day was dawning, bringing peace to us all, each in their own way, each in their own time, Evolving divine mind, something precious to be found. Many feet on the common ground. I didn't know about this place when I wrote that. (laughs) But it it was a coincidence, right? Um, I want to read something from the Common Ground webpage. Um, It's a quote from the Buddha. Nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. To have heard this phrase is to have heard all the teachings. To have practiced this is to have practiced all the teachings. And to have understood this is to have understood all that needs to be understood. Now, there are stories I've heard in life. There's uh, expressions that I've heard, you know, like a long time ago. And it seems to me that a lot of times those stories and those expressions are sort of like seeds. You know, when you hear it, if it's in a language you understand, you get an understanding, but as you live with it, it grows, it deepens, it morphs into things that you never would have imagined. Um, so, the Buddha taught a, a whole lot of things, you know, like the four, the four noble truths which I'd like to briefly review. Uh, In life, there is suffering. We all know that, we've all experienced that. Suffering can take many forms. Um, Anxiety, fear, distress, we all know those emotions. A lot of times those emotions are triggers for depression, rage, addiction. The thing that I found of value about this philosophy is that it has begun to put in my hands some tools to help me deal more effectively with those experiences of suffering. Um, And it's a growing process. There's nothing automatic about it. Um, The causes of suffering. The reason we are experiencing suffering comes ultimately from our minds. According to Buddhism, our main mental problems are root delusions, attachment, anger, ignorance. We probably each have our own favorite version of that. I think for me, through most of my life, and uh, Beatrice can probably witness bear witness to this, is that uh, avoidance has been one of my main ways to react to the drama in the world and the danger in the world. Um, I spent most of my life trying to uh, be under the radar, be invisible. Because growing up, uh, at the time I did, I was born right after the end of the Second World War. And my parents' generation uh, came back from that war having seen more of the world and having greater expectations for what they wanted living here. And at that time, and I don't think this is really like a benefit, but at that time during the Second World War, uh, all the troops were segregated. Um, most of the African Americans ended up in, uh, whether they were, flyers or infantrymen or worked in the kitchen, they were separated from all the other American soldiers. Um, I don't really think that progress, although some would say it was, was integrating the forces. I don't even believe that one of the main objectives of the civil rights movement, which was integration, was ultimately really a positive thing because I guess the positive thing is that it at least opened the door for people who wouldn't normally have met one another or built alliances or lived in proximity in a positive way. That became more possible. But what happened to black communities is that their e- the, the the economies that they built in their communities were abandoned in order to have access to white establishments, hotels, restaurants, etc., etc. Uh, much was lost in that process. And I need to make sure I don't go down uh, tangents. <laughs> but that's an important point, I feel. Uh, the fourth, suffering can end. And suffering can end when we have the practice that allows us or encourages us to be in the present moment, not dwelling in the past, not being anxious about the future, but trusting this present moment that we are breathing in. And then the fourth, the true path, or the eight eightfold noble path, which has to do with correct thought, correct speech, correct actions, correct livelihood, understanding, effort, mindfulness, and concentration. Okay. I grew up during the days when there was still... Um, really overt um, oppression, where half of my community, especially those that lived in the southern United States, couldn't even vote. And even in the north, in a city like Chicago, there were places you couldn't go because it was dangerous. I was raised by a generation of people who survived the Great Depression And during that time, especially, from the Civil War up until, it's hard to say when it really ended, but lynching was a very common activity from week to week in the lives of African-American people. So... um, their trauma and stress was a normal part of our lives that we didn't necessarily name or identify certain behaviors with the political reality that we were living in. And so I was raised by people who were raised by people who had close proximity to Uh, the fact that they were taken from their homeland, enslaved, and terrorized in order to behave a certain way in a social, political environment. So that kind of experience really contradicts a kind of indigenous wisdom because everybody here can probably trace their origin to a village someplace on this planet. And in these isolated villages that could have been in any kind of environment, the people figured out how to live in balance with that environment. They were very aware of the fact of the interconnection of all life in the context of that environment. They realized that you had to be, you had to have a a respectful, balanced relationship with the water, with the soil, with the vegetation, with the animals, and other nearby tribal groups. And people lived like that for thousands and thousands of years in a very balanced way. In broad strokes, I think I could easily say that when the Western world sort of stepped back or suppressed or denied their indigenous roots, Something got put in motion that is now playing out. And I think it's kind of strange that somehow many of our ancient relatives knew that we would come to a time exactly like this. I want to give you some examples. Let's start with one of the European groups. The Váluspa, the people of Iceland, predicted a time when human disharmony would lead to disharmony in the natural world, ending in the rebirth, coming to the evergreen times. That's a European prophecy. The one that we heard about a lot several years ago, uh the Mayans who had a prophecy about 2012 and a lot of people were afraid the world is going to end well the Mayans who essentially were in sync with the Dogon people of West Africa and the ancient Egyptians knew that the world moved in cycles of 26,000 years and that 2012, they all agreed, was the end of a cycle and the beginning of a new one. Now, those of you who are 50 years old or more, What have you noticed about present time in terms of when you turn on the radio or turn on the TV? How often are you hearing or seeing something that you've never heard of before? It's my imagination. a positive, a negative, whatever, something new that indicates that business as usual as we've known it is unraveling it, something new is happening. that are claiming a power. Okay, and we've been, we're still in a long epoch of patriarchy. And there's a lot of signs that that's coming to an end. Anything else?
5: Whether we accept it or not, so there's going to be an actual physical parameter that we we won't be able to ignore.
1: So civilization as we've known it has really thrived on cheap, plentiful coal and oil. So where are we at in terms of How coal and oil is affecting our lives or our capacity to live. All right, yes. Those are two really big changes. Um, Let's see. How do we move through this? The world is changing. We're witnessing um, a lot of violence. Some of it's close to us. Some of it's distant to us. But we pretty much ought to have a sense of how global it is. It's not something over there. It's here. And in some sense, it's in here. And what do you notice about in your own life as far as how people are dealing with stress, fear, um, these difficult emotions? Say it aloud. Medicating. Medicating. Yeah, everybody. Uh, I just, I just
2: noticed. Uh... I forgot to mention one thing about the recording, and and uh, one of the reasons we're recording is so we can give this talk to people later on, in, who want to listen to this. You know, next week, next month, next year. So I think it's, I think it's important that we um, just be mindful of that, and and the, the fact that this can be a gift to to other people as well. So. Um I, I just notice,
6: I, I mean, the wisdom of this practice is so true that it resonates in my life today, but it's th- thousands of years old. But it's like, I, like with technology, I can be so disconnected so quickly. I don't, like, you know, I can flip TV channels or radio stations. you just like really fast. I don't imagine people had access to that level of like intense, like, way to, and designer drugs, like, like, there's so many things that work so fast and so effectively to, like, avoid and not be, you know, and it's, like, deep-rooted into the culture that it's okay to do that, you know. I work in
1: schools, and... They're going to pass it to you.
7: I work in inner-city public schools, and what I notice among the young is an incredible sense of violence to each other, Um, putting each other for ridicule up on Facebook or all those media sites, Um, inability to communicate face-to-face, it's always done through texting. There's a depersonalization and an impersonalization and yet a tremendous vulnerability of the self.
3: Micah. I guess I just want to say sometimes I find myself, uh, hiding, you know, um, from people. Uh, my friends, people I care about just cause I, sometimes it's like, there's so much turmoil, it's like, it feels like everything is ripping here or ripping there and I have to go over to another place. I don't know, that's how I deal with, personally with the, with the feelings of violence.
1: All right. Well, I think for myself and my community, the ways that we are threatened and the account, uh, the amount of abuse and trauma that is woven through our history, reinforces uh, a sense of self which. maybe ultimately isn't the best place to be. And I mean that in terms of if impermanence is the reality, and if, as our ancestors across the globe knew, all life is interconnected, and I keep referring to that as the indigenous wisdom, the interconnection of all life, Um, the ways that we get wounded keep reinforcing I'm an isolated individual and I'm a target and I have to do whatever, I have to stay in fight or flight mode. Um, And so the question is, is Is that the ultimate reality? And I think one of the reasons I really came to really thirst for the Dharma uh, is kind of related to this thought. Who you are, who you really are, deeply are, cannot be altered harmed by anyone or anything. Now that's hard to grasp when you're in pain. But there is a way where we're also conditioned to suffer over our suffering. And when we suffer over our suffering, it comes out of the story that we have about what we're experiencing. Is it all about me? Is it all about me? Let me throw out another idea. Nature does not create anything that's unnecessary. Nature does not create anything that is unnecessary. Okay, here's another idea. Everything is energy. Everything is energy. Energy cannot be destroyed, but energy is constantly transforming and changing. Any of you who have, say, grandchildren or younger brothers and sisters... Do you remember how much a child changes in between birth and their first year? And at the same time, we keep being encouraged to think about fixing who we are in time. Time is another idea. It's an interesting idea. But we are constantly changing. Uh, Our body cells go through a whole recycling process every seven years. Um, I do not look like I did five years ago. I've changed. Which begs the question of impermanence. That is the reality. Impermanence. Now, there's a lot in the media that's encouraging us to buy something to fix, to fix the fact that you're changing, evolving over time. People are afraid of it. People are distressed by it. But my meditation practice has helped my identity evolve. I'm very deeply rooted in the fact that I have all of these African ancestors. It's what? I love it. I love it. Because... uh, if if I didn't have music in my life, for instance, I would not exist. In fact, my whole culture would not be without music. Uh, we could not have survived being in what's called the United States, which I keep referring to as Turtle Island, without our music. It was not a frill or a fad it's certainly been co-opted by capitalism, but somehow the heart and soul of it still exists because some people are like really understand the lifeblood and heart of that music and the wisdom, the indigenous wisdom that keeps being passed on. I was listening to a song this morning called Everything Must Change. And I keep noticing how the dharma shows up in places I wouldn't expect it to show up. But in this song, the lyrics go, come on, everything must change. Nothing stays the same. Everyone must change. No one stays the same. The young become the old and mysteries do unfold. Because that's the way of time. Nothing and no one goes unchanged. There are not many things in life you can be sure of except rain comes from the sky. Rain comes from the clouds. Sun lights up the sky. And hummingbirds really do fly. You know, scientifically, I think I heard hummingbirds technically should not be able to fly. They fly. Winter turns to spring, a wounded heart will heal, but it's never much too soon. Yes, everything must change. Um, so I like really value music that communicates messages like this. I think I should probably shift gears now and... Uh, Let's try and keep this on my ear, this way, and let's have a a brief meditation, and then we'll get to some uh, yoga and body awareness. So, the idea, and there are many ways to meditate. The one that I have found benefit from is by centering myself in my breathing. We are born on our breath, that first breath. And uh, for the most part, people die on their breath. Letting it go. And then other things happen. That energy transforming. So here when we meditate, usually we begin with the sound of this gong. The sound resonates through the room. Some, some of these like really hit people right here sometimes here, but the vibration, you know, moves through the body. And the idea is to stay centered in your breath. Your mind will wander, but the idea is to come back to your breath without judgment, without having judgments about yourself, not doing it right. Uh, A bad meditation is really good. So um oftentimes people close their eyes, sometimes people leave them lightly opened, uh with a general kind of stare. Yeah. And you can also meditate lying on your back. <laughs> Take a deep breath and slowly let it go. Take several and take your time. Get settled into your body. Try and sit up straight with your spinal cord coming from your base up to the crown of your head. Each vertebrae stacked one on top of the other. And you breathe deeply. Embracing your breath and letting it go. Embracing your breath letting it go. Very much like each moment of your life can be embraced and should be let go. Some people say the number one when they embrace, and two when they let go. Some think embrace, release, keeping it simple. Turn to the first breath, and let go. Five to fifteen minutes of this during your day can make a lot of difference and all you're doing is breathing embracing the moment soft, sweet, gentle waters running down. We breathe in what the trees give us. We breathe out what the trees need. We're connected through our breathing. Whenever your mind wanders, come back to the first breath and simplicity. this is new for you, you might feel restless, but try and stay with your breath. Please feel free to get up and stretch. I was thinking this would be a good time to have a short break. We should be back at 11 o'clock, which is uh, about 10 minutes from now.
0: This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website